Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. Don't call me the wild card. Call me the queen. That's a good one. Um, I may not know how to cook, but I can certainly stir the pot. Oh! (laughs) I was thinking for a second you were going to say serve, and then I was like, no, wait, that's tennis. What's happening? (laughs) You guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode two. 113, which feels like something. I'm into it. I'm into this. I'm going to call it a lucky number with a very lucky guest. Um, someone who I, whose new book I just genuinely devoured in one sitting. I was so obsessed with it. She is the Emmy nominated producer of Netflix's Fire documentary and the author of the just released Hype, How Scammers, Grifters, and Con Artists Are Taking Over the Internet and Why We're Following. A perfect conversation when we're talking about housewives and several Bravo franchises, by the way. Guys, welcome Gabrielle Bluestone. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the pod. Oh, it's an honor to have you. And I have to say, I mean, so much to discuss. Your book just came out. It's so good. There are so many similarities and comparisons when thinking of the Bravo world, how we stand our, you know, the, the art of hype as it pertains to Bravo Labs. 
I do, though, also have to say that there's a New York housewife who's featured in the book who co-hosted, I, I want to say, a launch party for the book's release, a certain New York housewife by the name of Leah McSweeney. Yeah. How did that how did that relationship come together? Did you know her previous to working on this? How, how did you guys meet? Um, so I didn't know her directly, but I knew friends of hers, um, mm-hmm. including Kat Marnell, who was also a co-host mm-hmm. of the launch. And um, what drew me to Leah initially was actually even before she became a housewife or before it um, aired was that she had had a clothing line called Married to the Mob. And um, as I, as you know, I write about Supreme in this book and kind of right. the way that they co-opted influencers to like make themselves seem very cool. And Leah had had a run-in with Supreme back in the day. Um, my dog. Um, no, he's he's uh, echoing. He's like, yep, yeah. I remember. I read yeah. about it. I heard about it. I bought a t-shirt. Amen. Um, but so she, they, basically she had done a version of their shirt for her line um, that said Supreme Bitch on it. And Rihanna had worn it and Kate Moss. And it was very popular. I think they carried it in Urban Outfitters or about to. Um, and so she filed a copyright for that specific thing. Um, now Supreme got very upset when she did that. They'd given her permission, you know, kind of offhandedly to do it. Um, but they wanted to assert their ownership of the label. And what makes the whole thing very ironic is that they stole the label themselves from the artist Barbara Kruger. So nobody involved in this really had any rights to anything. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting and emblematic uh, experience, especially for the book and looking at um, who really owns what and who makes what cool. Uh, and so she had a great story to share and just like a, you know, good take on everything, um, especially the way celebrity culture has invaded our lives. Um, and so we stayed in contact. I guess she didn't hate the book because she, <laughs> she helps launch it. Um, and she is just very cool off screen and on, I have to say, a great addition to the Housewives canon. Were you surprised when she got added to the show? To New um, York? No, I mean, maybe just because she's like so much younger and cooler than everyone else. You know, it like shocks me that she and Carl Radke are basically the same age. Um, But, you know, she's a mom and she's, you know, she fits in really well. Um, And I think she's been an excellent addition to the cast. The interesting thing when you think about hype, I mean, so much of the book revolves around the framework of the fire festival, which so many of us remember imploding on social media. It was like this day when every when sort of like the Internet blew up because there were all of these very rich kids or kids who wanted to show that they were very rich kids who were stuck on an island with like cheese sandwiches and a broken dream. It was a wild experience. And then you find out about the fraud that led to this and all of these, you know, vendors and people who, you know, you talk about somebody who had their water and electricity turned off because they couldn't afford to pay bills after being stiffed by Billy McFarland and Billy McFarland, Billy McFarland and It was a wild experience, but what's so interesting when reading the book is really unpacking not just the fraud itself, like taking a step back from like the pop culture moment of it all, the fraud itself, but just the framework of the fraud, which 
has led many people in the business world, in the finance world to great success. I mean, many of these individuals were just following a framework that for whatever reason is supported by several other industries. It just so happens in this case, we understand it is based on legitimate criminal activity that for some other industries could be considered a business plan. How do you, how, how does that make sense? Well, that is really elegantly put. Um, I wish you had written the back cover copy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I had, I had been the reporter that broke the fire festival and I mm-hmm. did so much work on it. You know, I knew that there was an interesting book on its own there, but what kind of struck me as I was investigating it and as I started writing this book was um, so many people doubted that Billy was like this legitimate scammer. They they really saw him mm. as someone who had the good the right intentions and got in over his head. And um, you know, I realized that part of it is like, yeah, he was like charismatic and people wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but also that the things that he was doing, at least until the end when it became overtly criminal were like accepted business practices, whether that is in the startup world, whether that is in social media marketing, whether it's in influencer campaigns, um, you know, you add it all together and you look at what he was doing behind the scenes with the investors, which by the way, is the only thing he faced, you know, criminal, criminal sanctions for. Um, it wasn't for the actual festival itself. It was for misleading the investors who gave him $26 million. So you see like what, what's protected and what's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're really other than other than that. There, I didn't see a, a big difference between him and Elon Musk or him and Donald Trump. Um, and you know, there are the obvious examples like Adam Newman from WeWork and Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. But there are also a bunch of people that we consider legit and that we celebrate as a culture. Um, who, when you look at it on paper, weren't all that different from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really like inspired much of this book. And there was so much privilege that he was able to weaponize to, for a period of time, great success. The privilege of being a white man, young guy who investors thought was cool. You could tell there was like a K-E-W-L with dollar signs in their heads where they were like, Mm -hmm. yes, access to this energy, this youth vibe. And the fact that he surrounded himself with people, you know, he was brought up with family of means, but certainly not that private jet level. And yet he surrounded himself with the children of people who were like rich, wealthy or rich, which are two different, I would say, structures. And he was able to use that to, for a period of time, like great power. And it feels like there is a comparison made when you think about how hype works and how privilege works. I see a great comparison to the world of Bravo and of Housewives, where the element of privilege can be, and I hate to use the word weaponized, except it makes sense in my head. I don't mean that in like a negative connotation, even though the impact can be negative. But just the ability to use privilege wrapped up in hype or hype wrapped up in privilege as your brand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was thinking about that because like a lot of the examples of these fraudsters who get away with stuff, um, they really have benefited from that privilege, whether it is their race or their background, like people give them the benefit of the doubt because they blend in so well with the money classes. 
Um, and you know, that's, there, there's a lot of talk about like Anna Delvey and why she did or didn't get mm. away with things. And people are always like, oh, they should have known because she did, she had grifter hair. Um, <laughs> but you know, she was so she really elegant at, at behaving the way that those people did um, that it took a really long time for people to realize something was amiss, but like, oh, actually I'm paying for this $80,000 vacation. Um, but it is very much like a housewife thing too. And I think there's a real parallel to the way that influencers use social media and the way that housewives use the franchise, right? The smart ones will uh, use it to market their business. Um, they'll never appear on camera without having a glam team first go over everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if their house isn't projecting the kind of lifestyle they want it to, they will rent a house for shooting, um, whether that's in Potomac or Salt Lake City. Uh, and so I think there are like, you know, they are convincing the public that they are someone who they maybe necessarily aren't um, and using the Bravo platform to do that. I wonder what comes first. It's like chicken or the egg. Does the hype precede joining a franchise or does joining the franchise initiate the hype? I think it's a combination of both, but it is super interesting to go back and watch the early seasons of these shows, Mm -hmm. you know, with the first season cast where especially like Orange County, they had no idea what to expect, obviously. And that is a totally different show, tonally, thematically. Um, It's kind of dark the early years of OC, actually. It's like a lot more gritty. Um, I I always think about like the OC Angels as like, oh my God. (laughs) Dark. That was a dark period of time. (laughs) Yeah. Certainly with some of the newer franchises, you know, they have a better sense of what to expect and what the beat is going to be like. But I think that's why you see, you know, first season Housewives are always, so interesting because it is kind of the realest version of them you're ever going to get, I think. I think it also depends on the housewife. Like, I think Dorit is realer now than she was when she started because she used the idea of her own, like, one step removed you know, coming from the LVP world where there's a, you try to have a little bit of distance, a little bit of detached demeanor, but unlike LVP, more loudly and garishly showing off the cash, which Mm -hmm. for, for many housewives, hype begins and ends with money or the reflection of it. And so, you know, we know, I mean, talk about hype. Dorit is one of those housewives where there are whispers and rumors of financial misdoings, you know, associated with PK and bills not being paid potentially associated with them both. And yet she's able to use the idea of someone and the presentation of someone with a lot of hype, meaning a lot of access to capital, a lot of Mm -hmm. access to her like black Amex as the protective layer where she's coming in and it's like, listen, I'm friends with LVP who has brings enormous value to Beverly Hills. I'll do as she says, you know, with a smile, but I'm also going to be like one step behind the connection. And I feel like we've seen a realer idea of her as the seasons go on, even though we don't actually know the truth behind the money hype. Yes. Although I will say, I think she's also been protected by the franchise. If I recall mm. correctly, um, yep. someone was filmed confronting her on camera in the, Bahamas, in the Bahamas, yeah. and they chose not to show that. So, you know, and also I have to remember because, you know, I get very into these shows and I'm like, this one's good. This one's bad. Like we would ignore her on the street kind of thing. But it's like, 
everything I know about these people is shaped by Bravo editors. And I have to remember that they are like telling the story of who they are that like is best for the show and not necessarily, you have to remember that it's not in real life in the same way that you have to remember that influencers are not really showing you their real life. Um, but we're, that's what I found so fascinating and, and really tried to get across in the book is that we are taking these things that we know not to be real as absolute reality and reacting to it as if it were real. So like we're all kind of participating in this collective scam in a way. And the network is the filter, you know, the Instagram influencer uses whatever, whatever the, as a youth, as a fellow youth, I know that that, (laughs) there's that chosen filter that someone's going to tell me about any day now, but Bravo is, is using, they're deciding to, you know, who, which person gets the Valencia when, because Mm -hmm. one person you might want to have that removed and it might be dependent on uh, does that person have legs are we going to really think that they're an investment in the future of the franchise and maybe we're going to protect them versus someone else where it's like yeah they're giving us a lot of mystery and darkness and let's reveal it now because we don't know what's going to happen to them if they're even going to be here next season yeah and you know there was a line in that um new york magazine uh vulture article about the franchise that came out like a week or two ago i think the soul of bravo yeah which yeah is great. i should read it but there was like a throwaway line about um, Luann and it was like for every, you know, scene or season where you show the like, call me Mrs. Dilliseps to the chauffeur mm. side of her, that then they have to show her also falling in the bushes so that the audience can see the nuance and, and respond to it. And so we're seeing like the ratio of good to bad that Bravo is selecting for us as opposed to like how they actually might be in real life. The only pushback I would say to that is we wouldn't have known that Lou was going to be the type of person to drunkenly fall into the bushes until 10 years went by. It yeah. feel, It's not like the network strategized in eight years from now, she's going to be an entirely different person and, you know, turtle, turtle timing it up, maybe even more than Ramona at some points. And we're going to be able to show that she's a humbled woman. We didn't see any evidence of that the first three I, I maybe even four seasons if you're yeah. Alex McCord it was only at the later points when she was maybe presented as being humbled and I I do think she was by divorce and then the Tom stuff and then the Tom stuff falling on into, beach I mean all of it the West Palm beach of it all yeah it wasn't the way that the that was phrased was I think generous to the network because I don't know that anyone would have seen the ways that the I don't know if it was hype around Lou, but the reflection around Lou would be so different as, you know, yeah, her I life think, went on. I think more generally, it's just that she had been presented as this uptight character mm-hmm. and that totally. they, they make sure to give, you know, complimentary moments to whatever that person's character is. But also, you know, I, know, I don't know, right? I, I My mm-hmm. opinion on people vary from season to season, 100%. Like someone I disdained last season, I suddenly love. And that's part of like the fun part of the franchise, right? There are new heroes and villains every season. I mean, I think that's the goal in many ways. You know, we all have our spiritual stands where like there's somebody that's close to your heart and maybe they're a garbage monster now, but you still (laughs) sort of like love them from before or you connect with them because, you know, connecting with them reveals a piece of yourself that's either really positive or maybe not, you know, like we all have those housewives. But the goal, I think, is that we grow and develop as people as we watch these sometimes performative people's uh, people's 
performative people evolve and change Mm -hmm. or not. And it's ideal that we change our opinions of them as we decide and discover new things about ourselves. So I think that's positive that like you might look at Bethany season one through three, spinoff one, spinoff two, (laughs) and have a different idea of her than the Bethany that returned. Mm -hmm. Maybe an idea, different idea of the Bethany that returned after her second or third season then she leaves again. Now we have, for example, an HBO spinoff. I think the goal is that we change our minds, you know, mm-hmm. based on the hype that the network has illustrated for us, the hype that the housewife themselves have decided to amplify as best they can, maybe adjust or change if they didn't agree with how they were reflected on the franchise. And then sometimes, you know, some reality pops out. I think yeah. that's the goal. I think that's really important and yeah. helpful. Yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly is that you mentioned like Bethany's uh, spinoffs. And honestly, there is no grittier or darker reality show than Bethany oh getting married. Like you go back and watch that and like, that is too real. <laughs> that boat therapy oh like, my god yeah shit dr amador is still bone <laughs> chilling dr amador is like still seeking treatment himself after yeah. dealing with understanding the very very dark spirit emanating from that couple mm-hmm. at all costs it is also interesting though i was you know thinking to myself while reading the book and just thinking about the nature of hype Who do you think has been the most successfully hyped housewife, you know, current, former, whomever? And who do you think has been overhyped? Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be Bethany, right? She knew how to use this franchise to launch herself and her business. Mm -hmm. The very fact that she's the only one with her own HBO um, Mm spinoff, you know, it seems like a, a modified apprentice, which as you know, I would argue is how we ended up with Donald Trump as president because everyone had this image of him as the boss that had been created by this reality show. Um, but she was also very good at navigating that world off camera, right? Like it's called mm-hmm. the Bethany clause when housewives are able to maintain full ownership of their bill of their businesses that they launch on the show. Like there's a reason that it's named after her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the most overhyped, um, I don't know. I guess like any any one one hit wonder housewife who came in and like couldn't hack it. Um, I have to think about that. Can we come back to it? Of course. And I also feel like there is a sense of a, a housewife overhyping herself and then finding out it was all a mirage. But sometimes the finding out it was all a mirage is an excellent example of why the overhyping is actually incredibly valuable. I guess it, you know? would have to be, it would have to be Mikhail Salahi, who is oh. the housewife infamous for crashing Obama's mm-hmm. state dinner and pretending to have been invited. Probably one of the best housewives grips of all time. It required a congressional hearing. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess that would be my, my selection. And, you know, that came at a cost to kind of burn down a franchise, which, listen, was the cast great <clears throat> its first and only season? No, but could it have, you know, gone through some sort of change? I mean, that was a different world for Bravo, but I do think that there may have been potential, except sometimes that overhyping or the result of it can suck 
up all of the air in the room. I think that's what happened with Mikhail. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a one-off. You could never top what happened in the first season. Um, I think Ladies of London ran into that problem too, although I would have watched them, you know, like shop for, for groceries for the rest of my life. Um, I mean, that was a show that ended its first season with a mob hit and they totally glossed over all of it. Oh my God. So dark. Scott and Noel, I want to say, why do I remember this? (laughs) I mean, where somebody was hyping the money or debt with a wink that her boyfriend fiance had because there was something going on, but yet we think that they had access to some sort of capital. And then he very sadly and mysteriously died and there are still questions around because of some maybe illegal activity he had been doing and an incredibly volatile yeah. divorce I settlement I don't, no idea to, I don't want the mob to come in yeah, shout out to the so mob shout say- out to Caroline and the brownstone and the manzos <laughs> and maybe Kim D allegedly the mob allegedly allegedly yes don't talk I'm, about my family I mean, I'm uh, a pizza bagel, you know, Italian heritage, love the Godfather, love <laughs> talking about the Godfather, even though I've only actually seen the Godfather like maybe once. I love... watched it for the first time during quarantine. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How many parts? Um, One and a half. It was on AMC a lot. And so I would kind of like tune in for 20 minute blocks of time. <laughs> I die for Sofia Coppola as a director. I haven't actually seen that part where apparently she like is Me one neither. of the reasons why that I don't know part three or four. I don't remember I what it is, but it's apparently two? crazy. I think two supposed wrong. to be the, maybe the best. Oh, one. the good one. Yeah, then part three. I think. It's um, yeah. <laughs> we all have some homework, guys. The Real Housewives of um, I don't even know what to say. Sunday sauce, um, which I'm very into. Um, there was a point that you made when talking about hype that I thought about in the context of Housewives, which is when you think about like the value. It's like my own little thesis. And please feel free to tell me to go fuck myself. But when you think about the Housewives hype. And the value that they provide. And for example, the Bethany of it all, where people really feel, bless you, that's Bethany telling Thank you. you. That. <laughs> watch her, her spinoff um, in a couple of weeks. That there's an idea of the value that the housewives provide. And so much of the value of that is in their reputation, is in the idea of them, is in the, the hype and the run up. And so you feel like that is why that person is someone that you must super stand or support because they are bringing this something extra. They are like the extra most important, the extra most popular. And yet that hype might not actually be owned by the housewife, but the value that you've assigned to them. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that that is a very neat parallel for influencers um, who are, you know, not necessarily doing anything other than selling you the idea of a lifestyle. And, you know, what we don't think about a lot is like what, what the, what the influencer is selling isn't really like the product, right? They're selling their appeal to us as the, you know, as us following them, they're selling our eyeballs, each one of our follow counts. Um, So we're really like the valuable thing there, not them necessarily. Um, there was like a, a TikTok going around for a while that was about how you could GameStop the Kardashians, like short sell them. And the whole point was just if we unfollow them, they have no power mm. left. 
Like literally their power is wrapped up in how many followers they have on Instagram and we control that. Um, so mm-hmm. I think about that a lot and I unfollowed all of them. <laughs> okay. I have not because I die for that, but I think that's a, that is an excellent strategy that some people should employ. I also feel like when we talk about the value that they bring, it's also about the experience that you yourself are having. So like when some mm-hmm. of us think about and argue about our favorite housewives and whose team are you on and everything else, you're thinking it's because they are providing something to you, but it's actually what you are doing to them. It's like the reflection of the ways that you are thinking of them is bringing you something, joy, conversation starters, whatever, but it's the power that you yourself bring. Exactly what you're saying with like the Kylie and the Kim and the Kendall of it all. It's you are actually doing the work. You are reflecting upon them. A whole lot of projection. Right. A lot of projection in the hopes that it bounces back. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's one of the appeals of, of reality TV, right, is as the viewer to think about how how I would re- respond in that situation. And if you make it very personal about you, well, this person handled the situation right. This person handled it wrong. You know, here's how they deviated from what I think is the correct way to do this. Um, and it, that's like a lot of the fun of it is, is projecting yourself into their shoes. And then we stand the ones that behave the way we want them to. How has writing about all of this changed how you watch housewives or has it just deepened an in interest maybe even? Um, you know, it is pure escapism. I try not to bring any kind of factual or cynical thought to it to the point where I, um, was watching summer house with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm bad about this. I am a, a two screener. I always have like my phone out while I'm watching. Oh, same. And, it's terrible. Yeah. And she pointed out like, oh, they're not showing anybody's mouth in this scene because they're not actually saying the things that they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I'm so naive. I was like, what? Like this conversation didn't just happen. We rerounded and she was absolutely right. Like not one time do you see like the words connect with the mouth, you know, that had been completely constructed out of thin air. And I fell for it hook, line and sinker. The interesting thing about like the dub of it all or or the (laughs) looping or however you want to describe it is that it used to be done in a way that was a little bit easier to miss because you could go to a studio, you could have like great audio and tech so that it, it sounded most comparable with the tweaks and whatever to the environment that they were in literally just based on sound quality and and more uh, important sound consistency with quarantine you might not have depending on when this stuff is done you might have them recording something god forbid on a zoom you might have them (laughs) recording something on their phone and sending it in based on whatever is needed Mm -hmm. and with the summer house finale it was like I was you know when you have that like secondhand embarrassment I felt so badly for them because there were genuine scenes as your friend was saying where like their backs were turned they were walking into another room and they're saying something and it's obvious that that's not actually what's being said and because the actual like looped in audio quality is so bad mm-hmm. it's just more apparent and I I play along you know it's like a little bit of a dream it's a little bit of a yeah. dance they're yeah. doing the two step <laughs> they're taking the lead and pretending I'm not to look yeah I'm, I pretending not anything. To look. I'm completely <laughs> pretending not to look but I was also like oh my god this is tough mm-hmm it's tough. Yeah. And, you know, I thought about this a lot, too, because, like, the Kardashians were involved in the fire Festival, so it was kind of necessarily mm-hmm. part of it. And, you know, they they do the whole, like, Kylie pretending to be a billionaire thing. Like, they definitely play the game. But 
what was most jolting to me before I really started thinking about this all was just how contrived that show is. Um, there was that long running uh, column, keeping up with the continuities that would track. Shout out Mariah Smith. Yes. And she would track, you know, when these scenes had actually been shot. And you would find that like the follow-up conversations to talk about the dramatic event that had happened actually happened before the event. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was so easy for her just from following along from home to actually see how fake it was that it made me be like, you know, as a consumer of the show who was like, oh yeah, like this is so real. I was like, wow, like what am I missing here? Um, and that, that actually made it quite hard to enjoy it, knowing that. And yet with Mariah, I mean, Mariah's a lot, Mariah's working on the special that Andy just, um, put up some video of on, on social yesterday and is a long time super fan mm -hmm. of the franchise. And I would even argue that reading her column, which for a while was in, I think like the cut New York magazine vulture, you know, it actually in reinforced my interest in walking and watching because I was like oh my god yeah that was filmed like several weeks later or, oh my god Kim was going through the divorce and then they were like JK we need to add some narrative here of why she's unhappy in her marriage because yeah. otherwise it truly makes no sense and for some reason it was like a fun little easter egg for me except it was an easter egg that happened after the fact you know where I was like almost like proud of them for being able to create this storyline that otherwise I might not have realized, you know, yeah. had a, a heavy hand given by production. I guess, I mean, that comes down to like what you're watching for too, right? Like you are, you have a producer's mind and you appreciate the structure of the thing. Um, I feel more like hoodwinked or I'm like, cause I'm like, oh, I really believed that they felt this way or that this emotion was there. And then it's like, actually they could not have been feeling that emotion because the thing that they're feeling, you know what I mean? Like it, mm -hmm. I, I almost felt like tricked, but I also do appreciate the hustle. Um, and, and when you think about it from, you know, a story construction point of view as like a writer or a producer, that is certainly, uh, to be admired. When you talk about like appreciating the hustle or potentially feeling hoodwinked, it's interesting, a parallel that I see with what's happening with Jen Shaw, because to many people, she came off as so performative, her first season on the show that even when it was revealed that she was a part of this allegedly, uh, you know, <laughs> master fraud that she herself was leading with Stuart, I didn't see a big response of people being like, wow, I was hoodwinked. Wow, I was really upset. For a lot of people, it was shocking and surprising. But since she herself seemed to be ineffectively trying to showcase her own massive hype, it kind of made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, she was one of those housewives from the beginning where it's like, I don't understand how you are living the way that you're living. Um, you know, how many assistants did she have? Like, I don't, not she allegedly eight, sense. but she was also being very generous with the difference between assistants and employees. And, yeah. You know, as we now know, co-conspirators. Yeah. <laughs> well, it came, it came off very, um, like, Dana, Wilkie, like, the, yes, look at my $25,000 sunglasses, where you kind of just immediately are like, oh, this lady is going to reveal way more than she intended to. Um I guess, yeah, because nobody really ever bought into what she was selling. No one ever felt betrayed by it. It was more like, oh, okay, now this makes sense. 
I was on a clubhouse yesterday and someone brought up Dana in the context of, I guess Dana's become like an investigative reporter mm-hmm. on Instagram and she's do, I want to say it was about Jen Shaw, but I could be totally wrong. And they're like, yeah, you know, and, and, um, Dana's going to uncover and explain all the, you know, fraud implications. And it's like, yeah, of course she is. She herself pled guilty to fraud in 2016. She would be the perfect person to talk about this. And yet Dana herself, I guess, on social is like, yeah, it was a misunderstanding. You know, they didn't find anything. And it's like, babe, like you pled guilty. guilty Yeah. Well, that's I mean, you got to respect the hustle again. Like, oh, yeah, that guilty play. Not what you think. But um, Dana was also, I think, like one of the queen or early originators of the rented house that I don't really live in that has no furniture kind of thing. So like definitely takes one to know one. (laughs) I mean, and then there are there are people who live in these rented homes and then there are allegedly people who build their homes in the hopes that this will help them in the eyes with casting or production. Maybe you're in conversation with the Housewife franchise and, you know, they're saying like, maybe in a season, like we need to see something more. And all of a sudden you live in a castle next to a a highway in Paramus or wherever. (laughs) I mean, like Jen Aiden, I find so fascinating as a housewife. And I, I think she is someone who came in with the idea of projecting a lot of hype. And now we are seeing maybe a continuation of that a little, but we're also seeing more human aspects of her, even if she's like saying crazy, shitty, you know, poking the bear kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And she does, she is reportedly one of those people who like built her house to show it was a hype home, you know, to reflect well in production. And and it worked. The original hype houses. (laughs) I mean, all of those houses in Franklin Lakes, which, I mean, Teresa had been living in hers for a fucking while before the show came along. So it's, again, another chicken in the egg of, like, this was had been going on for a long time prior to the show, you know, coming around and saying, you know, we have this thing that we're working on. Is it of interest? She is an OG for a reason in many ways and also an example of what you know a story of what happens when the hype itself is exposed and how you can show maybe becoming a bigger more important celebrity even after the fact Mm -hmm. well it's also it's funny because she cannot sell that house for the life of her I think it's still on the market wow well it's airing um which you know is kind of sad I mean it is a a lot of dark things happen in that house I would not want to live there I would think that maybe I don't know anything about real estate property, let alone what's happening in the area related to Franklin Lakes. But I would think that would be one of those places where you would like buy it for the land and (laughs) throw that shit in whatever river is closest and restart. I think that Bravo should buy it and turn it into like a housewives museum. Would love it. Yes. I don't know. A little animatronic. (laughs) Little animatronic no-no cooking octopus. Like it can be a whole thing. I mean, I am here for a Housewives Epcot. They had the Housewives Museum at BravoCon and it was a joy, but we do need a permanent structure, you mm-hmm. know, all year long. So Bravo if you're listening. Not to jump franchises too, but and I actually have been seriously thinking about buying this ticket, but the 
uh, Sopranos house every year hosts a Sopranos con where they like park a big Escalade in the driveway and like the cast members come. You can like, I forget the Italian guy that was flirting with Carmela, but like he, Fabio from whatever his name is shows up. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like a, a whole thing that I'm desperate to be a part of. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I know that there was a bus tour for housewives stuff in New York that I yes. didn't do that I think Brian Moylan covered I want to say it was Brian for Vulture where you like drive around to, I guess like outside the Regency or something <laughs> you know I do have to say like in real life I know multiple girls now who have gone on dates with um Harry Harry Dugan, <gasps> yeah. Oh God, I was joking. No, oh, no, really. That is like, if you go on Tinder, you've got like a pretty good shot of like doing your own Housewives tour. Allegedly. <laughs> how did, um, <laughs> how did that go for them? Um, I think it went well. It did not end in anything, but she enjoyed the experience. experience. Yeah. Was she someone who knew who he was or was it a genuine right swipe because he seemed like a great guy? I don't know how many of those are going to happen. Um, <laughs> no, she knew who he was, but she pretended she didn't, which probably, oh, for her. Um, I think, vexed him more than anything. Apparently, he references the show like a lot, uh, <laughs> which, I mean, he's dated half of the cast members. If I were him, I would also tell people about that. I mean, I did an AG back when we could do in-person events. I did an AG listener Kiki at the Regency a couple years ago. And who shows up but Harry Dubin? No. Yeah, it was wild. He gave me his cell phone number. He gave me a kiss on the cheek. I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> I didn't there you go. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the shows that are currently on air. I mean, I do want to actually ask you before we even get into that, who is your spiritual housewife? Who's the person who, it might be a problematic pick, or it might be somebody that you're just like, this is my one true love. I may like them a little bit more than I used to or vice versa, but you know, you know, she's my girl. Okay. Not a housewife, but I have to say I am, I think Danielle is like the perfect person this season because she is in the drama without like causing uncomfortable drama and is like such a funny and good friend. And like, it's very hard to model that on reality TV, but that scene of her stealing Stravi's suitcase, not because she liked him, but because she wanted it to be right for her friend was like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on TV. And I like so much power to her. My spirit left my body when you said Danielle because I thought you were talking about Danielle Stott oh, and God. I never would have I would not have judged you for it. I would have wanted to unpack it a little bit oh, yeah, I would no, never no. she makes Who's... me feel so uncomfortable she... I can't watch Danielle scenes same um so when it comes to and die for Danielle when it comes to housewives is there a pick that you have um this might be an unpopular pick but I think Ramona is amazing tv like I would never want to be around her in real life but I will watch her all day long she was one of the housewives where last season I was like we're done like demote her or something else and I, in the lead up to the premiere, I kind of am like, you know what? Keep her. Keep her there. She's there. The choice yeah, has already she's going to show up anyway. Might um, as well accept it. No, that scene of her in the trailer where she's like walking up the steps, holding a drink, yelling about how people used to be classy. Like, I can't wait for it. 
Uh, and I have to say, she provided us with one of the most bone-chilling moments on reality TV ever, which is when she read Bethany for filth on that Brooklyn Bridge walk. Like, uh, it lives rent-free in my head, that scene. And I also feel like, listen, broken clock is right twice a day. She said things that were in that moment terrible, was beyond mean. It was... It felt vile to say it and like, why are you saying this now? She wasn't wrong. Yeah. She wasn't wrong. Show me the lie. Exactly. Bethany is also one of those people I keep going back to her because it is interesting for super stands, you know, the ways in which we thought she was like a hashtag girl boss, whatever else. She is a very abrasive, often toxic problematic character you might love her for it love her despite it but it's sort of important to recognize it and yet people are still understandably so very focused on the hype of bethany season three and disregard anything that can get in their way of continuing that narrative in their head mm-hmm. yeah no 100 percent um yeah who who are your like unexpected and obvious I mean, fame. My spiritual BFF, even though I didn't see the last season of Orange County and I heard she had a tough one. Um, I do have to say there is something about Shannon Bedore. I stand for <laughs> Shan. I understand her. She's a little bit of a broken bird. Aren't we all? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't uh, s- subscribe to like... Uh, vodka o'clock and there is some element of her using alcohol as her way to take a step back sometimes and like numb the reality being presented to her which I think has more to do with Shannon than even filming for reality tv um which is an instinct that I understand, although I, I don't share it when it comes to specifically alcohol, but I think that everybody has something that they use. have a coping that, mechanism, yeah. Right, however unhealthy, and, and sometimes it's part of that, just the, the reality of being a person who still struggles with using her voice. You know, she goes from one to a thousand, and I understand that because she's burying how she feels from two to 90 999 you know it's she's a tough she's a tough person but I will always hold a special place in my heart for her um and then I think of like who are the housewives that I really love now just straight up a door and I think Portia Williams is an obvious choice she has grown on me so much over the years her season loathed her now love her she's also like when people try to shame her for bringing up stuff that she said that's been ineffective or coming from a place of of just not knowing any better maybe ignorance or or the role that she was playing trying to play when she was still married to Cordell and it's like don't we want to celebrate the idea of people maturing and Mm -hmm. understanding more and embracing nuance and being a better person than they were five or six years ago. Like, isn't that actually the goal of not only ourselves, but the women that we follow on TV? Yeah. So her case was like different. Although I guess Bravo doesn't really punish physical altercations in the way that like a bachelor franchise were, where it's like, if you put a hand Mm -hmm. on anyone, you're gone. I felt like she was like 
on thin ice for a while because she got physical at the reunion. Mm -hmm. Um, But she really has demonstrated like a completely different side and more measured. And I think this year has been her year. And I love that for her. How do you feel about this season of Atlanta overall? Um, So as I mentioned, I really have not had a chance to watch it like beyond the trailer. Um, Oh, okay. But I think, I mean, even without watching it, I know like power to Candy, power to Portia, like Kenya, keep getting that contract. Um, Marlo, I love watching. I would be terrified to be alone in a room with her. I know I would leave crying. (laughs) (laughs) She is very – Marlo is a person who – owns her power which I love about her and she could verbally eviscerate me without breaking a sweat which I also have no you know like no choice but to stand but also she would she would fuck me up you know and again it's just she's a very powerful smart quick person who yeah maybe wants to be a full-time housewife or maybe doesn't couldn't really tell you I mean she dresses well and she's witty as hell so like power mm-hmm. to her for that um who else I'm I'm uh, I'm mixed on Cynthia because just because mm-hmm. I know she had an indoor maskless wedding, which I mm-hmm. can't really understand. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know who else am I missing. I think you hit you hit a lot of them. Did you say um, Candy? Yeah, Candy. Did. Candy's like my favorite. I mean, there's a new housewife this season, Drew, who has had some great moments, but also is super problematic when it comes to. <laughs> the ways in which she removes a man's agency in order to slut shame a woman that's Ooh. been tough. And she also has had really smart, funny moments. There was a, a time in which she was, um, you know, saying to a friend of Latoya who had been filming as a full timer at that point, you know, like you're so obsessed with me. I brought a headshot and I'm going to sign my autograph. on there <laughs> And it was really well done. All of the OGs spiritual or, uh, otherwise, you know, essentially clapped for her. And it was a funny, dry, um, uh, successful moment. And then, you know, flip that to the finale where, she put on this odd performance and has been extending this narrative of you you tricked this man into liking you and I feel like you've ruined my reputation because I can't stop talking about it, which means everybody else can't stop except everyone else is simply listening at this point. Nobody is really contributing to this storyline and it just felt really clunky and sloppy and kind of dumb, which is a weird capper for Atlanta. But also, I think this has just been one of those seasons that you've got to kind of put in a bubble. I don't know that it's rewatchable. Um, it might be. There might be moments that are. I just think it's something that we got through to get to the other side, mm-hmm. you know? And juxtapose that with Dallas, which... My God, if we get to the other side, I don't know if I want to swim in that river because what the fuck is waiting for us? It's been a tough season, although I do have to say this season has made me appreciate Cam in a way I didn't before. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is her Luann falling in the bush season, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been really tough to watch Carrie. Yeah, it's like I think about this week and I honestly stuff happened and shout out to Deandra for really, you know, the idea of understanding boundaries, but also being focused on pursuing a relationship with someone and sometimes knowing that 
your boundary is important to yourself, but when you try to communicate it or even with the best of intentions, weaponize it to say to someone like, you don't get access to me unless blah, blah, blah. The maturity that she has been able to establish with her trying to get a connection back on track with her stepmom, I thought was incredibly powerful. And what Jeremy said to her of like, what is it that you ultimately want? If you want a relationship with someone, you just need to understand to focus on that relationship. Like, you know, like you can talk about the past, but if you want a future with someone, you need to accept that you might just agree to disagree or or try to let things go because you have a limited amount of time, which I thought was incredibly powerful. But the overwhelming sensation of gross and feeling dirty watching Dallas was translated so well in the trailer for the finale where Carrie is once again being destructive and disgusting and actually now dangerous in crashing into like a glass wall or something and shattering stuff like this is the per- you look at that and it's a terrible and fair comparison but I don't care when it comes to Carrie like where is the hype here? We look at Beverly Hills where it's the hype of men, money, access to capital, diamonds and rosé. Look at New York where it's like the streets of New York City and society and whatever else. New Jersey where it's the hype around, you know, families of cash money means and the uh, connection that they all seemingly share. Look at Atlanta when there's that celebrity element in there as well and the bustling careers that these women have. And I look at Dallas and I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say, you know, Carrie aside, um, it has been lovely to see like good relationships, you know, putting these like destructive ones aside, you know, that's some very toxic, you know, I don't need to see the Redmonds on my screen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see like Deandra and Jeremy and Cam and Court, it's like nice to sometimes see nice things. Like that's kind of why I said like Danielle from Summer House is like mm-hmm. kind of my spiritual cast member right now. Like I think being inside for this last year and I don't I like something I'm, I'm looking for wholesome now. And so when I do get those moments of it, I really appreciate it. And it was like very special to see just like something nice occasionally. It's hard for me to appreciate it or I feel kind of alone when I appreciate these great moments on Dallas, you know, Tiffany coming to terms with her relationship with her mom, all of this stuff, because then it's like, and the preview for the finale is Carrie busting down a glass wall in a home she was visiting and truly does not care to in any way respect and it's hard to respect myself as a viewer putting up with this. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. It's honestly, it's it makes me sad because I feel like Deandra and Tiffany especially have been opening up. I think Cam is very important to the future of the franchise. I think the three of them are the only housewives in this cast that I would want to see moving forward. It just is so unnerving to me that Carrie is constantly lowering the bar and bringing us down with her. Yeah, she's the Brandy Blanville of mm-hmm. Dallas. There gets to a point where it's like a little too real. I'm like, mm, no. 
at least with Brandy Glanville, the cast was on board with at least, I mean, in some ways going too far, but in in saying like this is not acceptable behavior, that's only happening with Carrie after the 15th time, yeah. you know, and then they're punished for it. You know, Deandra is seemingly isolated because she's said things out loud that these women are not okay accepting. Well, Dallas is an interesting show, too, just because I'm fascinated by the way that Southern people communicate with each other. Mm. And I actually, this is way too simplistic, but I remember reading this years ago, and it always struck me as, like, people in the South tend to be much more polite and um, less, like, they're trying less to instigate things. And I think part of it is because, like, they're more likely to be armed in the South, whereas, like, in the North, you fight with your words. And this is like dating back, you know, like a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you were more yeah, likely to right? knock on wood. You were more likely to end up in like a duel or something if you like shit talked oh, in wow. the South, which is how you end up with like, oh, bless your heart and that kind of passive aggressive way of communicating. And so it is very interesting to see that at play there, like what they will and won't say and what they will and won't tolerate and how. Um, it does give like a fascinating cultural backstory. I love the bless your heart of it all because it is such a wonderful, sometimes I say it in my head when I like mm-hmm. am telling someone to go fuck yourself. <laughs> I I think it is an excellent A++ Olympic level way to throw shade. And I wonder, you know, Luann, Luann, oh my God, Leanne was such a lightning rod for so many people in the cast, including Jimmy, Cam's mother-in-law, who is a woman of society who would seemingly have some feedback on who her daughter-in-law was hanging out with. And yet you have Carrie there, who I would argue has behaved worse in the context of like physical behavior destruction not necessarily harm but just physical behavior and I wonder how the Jimmies of the world feel watching this play out yeah you have to wonder like how much it it has to do with like who she's married to and where she lives and Mm -hmm. how that would change if that changed you know Mm -hmm. do you think um that Dallas has a way of moving forward yeah, I mean, they need a cash shakeup for sure. But I, I'm going to still tune it. I mean, it's definitely been one of those shows that, like, it piles up in my DVR and it almost feels like a chore to watch. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm, still, I'm still watching. It is also one of those things where, you know, like, the trailer for Atlanta looked like, okay, I, I didn't actually love the structure of the trailer, which felt a little too New York-y, like, New York season trailer to me. And they're m- trying to make this, like, quasi circus lol wink and a smile not happen and it didn't it 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 read as flat to me or I received it as a little bit flat but just like thinking about the differences between the Atlanta reunion versus Dallas where two of the housewives are in separate hotel rooms where even the photos of their outfits are like tragic <laughs> just tragic and then you look at summer house who had their reunion trailer released and is in my head having a season of prestige tv and for lack of a better term you know like one supreme rises i think that (laughs) summer house is really yeah going to be the reunion to watch definitely 
Well, I think also they're like kind of w more willing to um, discuss real life well, in the form of who said what on what podcast, but mm -hmm. you know, it's not limited to what you see on the screen per se. Yeah. And Hannah's one of those examples of a person who is naturally funny, who has decided to make that into a career in comedy and God bless her and yet is using the idea of like no holds barred. I can talk and joke about whatever, which is like the Amy Schumer style. No disrespect to Amy Schumer, but sort of that Amy Schumer style of like, I'm going to joke and I'm going to step over the line because I don't believe that there should be one in existence or it's a wink and a nod or it's being sardonic or sarcastic or whatever. But Hannah is not Amy Schumer and yet she's trying to use the same tools but like the knife is a little bit dull and when you're cutting someone you're really truly leaving a scar yeah and it's not limited to the show like I know her in real life and she actually like said something really terrible about a mutual friend of ours on a podcast for no reason like you know, it, it, it is a, a very dull knife. How do you, I'm going to need to know more information. <laughs> Which is the Hannah that I should believe? Is it the Hannah that came in who was kind of like bubbly and open and, and a wink and a nod and was part of a, a cast reshuffle that really, really helped successfully reset this show? Has that Hannah changed into the Hannah that we're seeing now because she's having a bad season? Is it because she's believing a little too much the hype and adoration that she was receiving through her friendship with Paige and like the giggly squad of it all and this new sense of fame into believing the things that she's saying and and uh, defending the positions that she's taking? Is that a result of the hype of fame or is she just not doing great? Um, I don't know if it's necessarily like, I couldn't speak to whether it's, you know, her buying into her own hype or not, but I would say just as a viewer, putting aside like my personal feelings, whatever, um, it's the difference between like, you know, meeting someone at a party and then seeing them deal with like a real issue. And, and mm. I think in times of strife, you kind of people show their true colors and, and that would be my assumption that that's, that's the different, the reason behind the distinction probably. There is this famous quote that I will associate with Michelle Obama. I don't know if she's the first to say it, but she's the one that I think of who said at one point, a presidency doesn't change a person. It reveals them. Mm -hmm. And you can carry that over into housewives, noting that in both cases, fame can absolutely adjust the core of a person, but it doesn't fully reveal them as much as who they really are, which sometimes you don't find out until time. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. time does reveal a whole hell of a lot, regardless of whether or not you're seeing this person reveal themselves on a, t a TV show or IRL, or in the case of what you just said, you know, maybe a combo of both. Mm -hmm. And with Hannah, I do believe that there is some sort of, association between feeling like you are this is a terrible way to say it but a little bit of like an America's sweetheart vibe and I say that out loud not knowing if I totally believe that that's the right term but 
there is something to be said for everyone hyping you and saying like, you're doing great. We love you. We love you. We love you. And then believing that plus the pressure of filming plus this comedy thing, which is in many ways very ineffective when it comes to continuing your hype, because a lot, I think a lot of people have turned because of her behavior this season and trying mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, which is which. Yeah. Yeah. And then that also becomes a question of like, what is the hype, right? Like I, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of allegations that some of her comedy is, you know, lifted from things that have already appeared on the internet. And there are like some mm-hmm. compelling examples of that. You know, I don't know what her comedic process is like. Um, but yeah, I think that to go beyond that, like that was an issue Billy McFarland had, um, was being surrounded by people who are hyping up your dumbest ideas. Um, and that can be, you know, very corrosive. Summer House is also an interesting example because it is a show that this season, maybe not a lot of us expected, but is a reflection of the growth of the participants in that house. I would argue that everyone has grown. I think Paige has had an excellent season. Mm -hmm. I think Kyle and Amanda, I did not anticipate this. I love them. I love their love. I believe it. I want to see the real wedding. The fake one was romantic AF. Yeah. Carl, how do you not love this man? He's been very open about, we're all rooting for him and shirtless photos of him and everything else. Even Luke, I would argue, who doesn't have a fuck boy in your life? I have dated them or rather not dated (laughs) his experience with Hannah. Mm. These people who lead you on because what they're looking for is someone to fill a space regardless of whether or not there's going to be like sexual action involved. You know, someone who is, he didn't, he didn't create this game. So it's sort of not the best idea to pretend he has. I don't know that he was necessarily playing that game, right? Like one of the reasons that he's so likable this season is because he like really truly is like not trying to get one over on anyone. He's like, Mm. He is respectful of everyone's boundaries. Like he just wants to have friends. Like seeing him with the boys is so like heartwarming. Um, And like, so to see that image of him that was uh, presented to us as like one possible explanation for his behavior and to see him like bust through that, I think has been heartwarming. Even that like fight that they were able to resolve the next episode. Did he scream to the balcony? He was like, I don't like you very much. Yes, it was the most Minnesota thing. The worst thing he could have said was, I don't like you. Like, incredible. I mean, I think about that at least once a day. And it makes it so wholesome. It's so like, it just makes you smile. Even Lindsay, who's in this weird, toxic relationship, is trying to get out of it by self-sabotaging and yet doing so in a way that makes me feel like there's growth. Yes. Well, Lindsay is like also, you know, if I didn't pick Danielle, I would have picked Lindsay because she mm-hmm. is like someone who is also like an amazing friend to her friends. And the mm-hmm. only person, I mean, I guess Shadi got the brunt of it, but the only person she's really toxic to is herself. And I, mm-hmm. I feel that with Sonia too. Like you kind of have to like love someone who their, their worst impulses, they are not turning out on the world, you know, like they are honoring the people around them. Completely agree. And then we have Hannah. And, you know, there is a moment in the trailer 
that looks very tough where Luke is saying something and Hannah gets upset and walks off. And a lot of people have been asking, what is that moment? And there have been, you know, bra- uh, uh, Brands by Bravo brought up a, um, uh, a podcast recording from 2019 of Hannah going on Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. And she made some... I don't know if accusation is the right word, but she described cast members who were like super high on Adderall. And so people are thinking that that is the moment that Carl is describing when he talks about her saying stuff about people. I think that that is a moment. My guess is that there there are likely more, but that's certainly a specific one that pops out for a lot of people that was unearthed. And then there is audio that another account, Bravo, Bravo, Ducking, Bravo, was able to find that a lot of people think is what Luke is going to reveal, which is Hannah going on a friend's podcast and very much making light in order to essentially share a joke about someone in her life who was experiencing suicidal ideation, who told her as much, whose parent was also involved And she revealed this stuff on a podcast in the context of making a joke of wanting to, like, fuck them. And it's a really tough moment. And you listen to that audio and it's not good is the most generous way I would say it. And this is an example of someone, I think, again, I have truly, guys, you know, spiritually tell me to go fuck myself, but don't actually do it. <laughs> of somebody who again thinks the comedy of it all is to share these things that are not only inappropriate, but dangerous, not in any way funny and can do a lot of damage and harm. I always look beyond the cast member to like, who are the people listening to this who think this is okay? Cause you are mm-hmm. signing a permission slip for people to replicate your behavior regardless of whether or not they're going on a comedy tour. And it is a tough moment that a lot of people are connecting to what could be a moment of holding her accountable on the reunion. And it's not good. It's truly not good. Yeah, I will say more generally as a viewer, I have like a bloodthirst for reunions. I'm always like, all right, like, like, (laughs) hold them accountable, like put the screws on. And like, it never, it never is uh, quite as intense as I hoped for. Like there's never really that moment of reckoning. It always, someone walks off and the thing ends. So my hopes for, you know, a real come to Jesus moment. I don't know if that's possible, but I I also want to ask where the hell was the Paige and Carl moments that we were promised in the trailer? Like you want to talk about hype, I was expecting some flirtation and I did not see any. I don't think I saw it not once. Not once. I do also say, I have to say that, uh, you know, concerning what you just said about, you know, the lead up is sometimes greater than the result. When someone does walk off a reunion, they are, they do think that they're creating a moment. It is also sometimes people genuinely needing to tap out and it is successful (laughs) in ending conversation. So you can have this buildup. The walk off can be a huge part of the reunion trailer in the context of like, ooh, this thing happens and it's wild and they have to leave. It is typically successful in 
ending any kind of talk around accountability or whatever else because you are literally stopping the filming from happening. I want to see a live stream reunion, like no edits. Like let us just watch them for eight hours trying to get through this day. I would absolutely tune into that. If there was ever a show that could truly monetize for the network in some way, it is Summer House, which is our Bravo's version of a spiritual big brother. Mm-hmm. Like during quarantine times when they can't leave during the week and they're stuck 24-7, give me some sort of pass. Let me buy <laughs> whatever it is, whatever it costs. Yeah, like a Patreon. big brother scenario. Yes. 100%. I could see it happening. I don't think that they would ever allow it, but I would love to see it. If it somehow is possible to do on Big Brother, which I don't necessarily follow, I would love to see it happen on Summer House. I, I mean, they have, they already it. have it set up. There's like cameras on every wall there. Like it would be very easy to do. If there is a housewife story that you would love to write a 300 page book about, where you were like, this is the story that I want to unpack from every angle, what they're presenting to us, how they were actually created and born, what's happened to them as a result of coming on a show, and what can we all take from this? Who would you pick? I think I would pick Orange County because they were the original guinea pigs in this. Like, mm-hmm. they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Um, I don't know. The whole thing is just fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I think, I think that would be it. Is there a housewife from that franchise that you find particularly fascinating? Um, it's tough. It is tough. Not real. I don't. There. Yeah. Not really. It was more I'll like you. the the newness of the situation. Um, I guess I'd have to go back to the Salahis too. That whole thing. There's so much to unpack there. I mean, you could do a three part series. I think she's with the guy from Journey now. Like, like she I. Is. <laughs> She and Tark did not respond well when she left him. He said she had been kidnapped because he wanted to find out her whereabouts. I so forgot he said, about please, that. if you see her, contact me and let me know where she is. Talk about a toxic individual. My goodness. Mm. I mean, there's a lot to discuss. I would love to have you back on AG because I feel like this whole conversation about the celebrity of it all, the hype of it all. It translates so the influencer of it all. It translates so easily into the Bravo of it all that I feel like there's a lot, you know, that we didn't get a chance to talk about a lot that remains unsaid. Well, I would love to come back and say it all anytime you want. (laughs) Get it all. We didn't mention it all is what we're saying. How can people (laughs) buy the book? How can people find you online? Tell us everything. Okay. Well, the book is in all major bookstores um, and Amazon, of course. And uh, my Twitter account is currently hacked, but I feel (gasps) confident that I will be getting it back soon. Uh, So that's G underscore Bluestone. My Instagram is G Bluestone. Do you think that the hacking has anything to do with the book? Um, you know, I have no idea. I have no idea. But the account is locked. I just can't get into it now. So nobody else has it. So we've, we've already oh overcome part of the, the journey. Yeah. Um, shout out to Twitter. We love you guys. 
Twitter, give yeah. me my account back if you're listening. <laughs> Please, and tell us your thoughts on, um, I don't know, Dallas and Potomac. Uh, guys, you can follow me on Instagram at Dame Galley. Um, a fun Patreon episode up where I unpack <laughs> your responses with some bonus satchels of gold as well as um, – you know, I put up some IG stories because I got unblocked by Bronwyn. I'm sure Congratulations. it was a- Thank you so much. I'm sure it was a technical error that she will resolve <laughs> shortly. But in the meantime, I wanted to pose to AGs and the Bravo accounts um, that follow me. Have you ever blocked a housewife or been blocked by one? So I got a ton of responses that I want to share. And also, I just have to say, I n- may be in the minority on this and I'm completely fine with it. But the scene of Melissa and Antonia in Envy was received by me as like A++. I laughed my ass off. It was a reminder to me of my own experience with my mother of completely sort of actually not even having the conversation, but fucking it up. I get the perspective of people being like, this is inappropriate for TV. But I think because Antonia knew that her mom was just doing this for TV, mm-hmm. that it was hopefully not. Traumatizing. Any- yeah, I'm hopeful that it wasn't. I also felt like it was so poorly done, which PS is what a lot of parents do with their kids off camera. My mom had a conversation with me that lasted two seconds of like saying something about lady times as she opened the door to my father's law office. And then we never spoke about it again. Wow. We all have some stories, most of which did not involve reality TV. So I got responses from AGs about what conversations their family members had with them And in many ways, the answer was none at all. So I want to share those with you because I had someone sent me of the book that their mom, like (laughs) the book their mom shared. And it's like wildly hilarious, um, big uh, millennial energy there. So um, that's all a part of that Patreon bonus episode, which you can find at patreon.com slash Andy's girls. The number one way to support AG and, uh, uh, you know, someone sliding into my DMs with some tea on Hannah and Kate Chastain that I will maybe share on a future Patreon episode as well. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Listen, Gabrielle Bluestone, a pleasure. It was the pleasure was all mine. I a delightful convo, a delightful <laughs> way to kick off my day. I have to say, guys, I hope you're staying sane right now and getting vaccinated. If you're able, certainly in New York City, I think it's essentially fully open. Um, and uh, if you're able to get an appointment, please do. It's the only way, the biggest way for us to all get through this time together. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode and can't wait to talk to you guys again soon. Thank you so much, Gabby. Gabrielle Bluestone. Thank you. Bye, guys. (laughs) Bye.